Bam 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 Everybody, welcome back to Go Help Yourself. Misty, what is the face you're making? <laughs> you guys, her eyes were like slits. I was trying to be serious and not laugh in the intro. Cool. And I was doing well. Thank cool. you very much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Go Help Yourself. It's a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm sitting across from Misty Stinnett. And I'm also Misty Stinnett. And I'm sitting in the same seat as Lisa Linky. <laughs> and that's Lisa Linky. Okay, and this is a podcast where we review a popular self-help book each episode, and we talk about how we feel about it. And spoiler alert, I'm probably going to hate it because I have a severe distaste for being told what to do. Yeah, and I'm probably going to love it because I'm optimistic, mm-hmm. and that's how I roll. Mm-hmm. So it's like Snow White and Ursula over here. Now, now listen, if you like what you hear, you can go out and buy the book and get more of it because we can't cover everything, you guys. You poor unfortunate souls. <laughs> Thank you. And if you don't like what you hear, who cares? Flotsam, jetsam, take it away. It's fine. It's free. It's free. Enjoy. And yeah, we're reading the book so that you can go on with your everyday life that's very full and busy. And you don't have time for us okay, or we get any it. good Don't advice. read it. Don't write fine. it. Whatever. But you can still get the perspective-altering self-help advice that you you've been craving or that your family has been gently nudging towards you with subtle hints of like you should read this or book. that that person on Hollywood Boulevard has been shouting at you but yeah. you haven't made attention to take it take it um Misty do you have any <laughs> announcements or check-ins any any housekeeping I do I have a little housekeeping um if you have been listening to the podcast and you have been liking what you're hearing why not take a, a few moments to go write us a review on iTunes yeah. give us a rating Listen, a rating literally is one tap of your finger. Boop, tap. It's one finger. That's right. I will say sometimes iTunes makes it a little bit hard to navigate to the menu and it's confusing, but like four seconds of clicks. Please. Four seconds of clicks. Please. And even even a review that says new phone who dis, we're into it. Misty, why is reviewing and rating so important? (laughs) Well, you know, I am told by the powers that be Mm -hmm. and other podcasting friends that when you get more reviews and you get more ratings... When people search for your topics or your keywords like self-help or like comedy podcast or any of the book titles, it will help us to pop up in searches um, in a more important way. What if we could be featured on like a list somewhere? Could you imagine? No. Yeah. And and we're hoping that in turn and in time, that just means that we get to do way more cool stuff for you, that we can have um, more high profile people as guests because guests are something that we're planning to have on yeah. the episodes like, and minisodes. Like uh, Brene Brown. Yeah. Like, or like... Listen, we have a call. Louise Hay. We have a call into Oprah. She hasn't called us back yet, but we're feeling good about and it. And when I say a call into Oprah, I mean I've just started yelling out. That's right. Oprah! That's right. Yeah. Because we don't know her number. We're on Fairfax. Come find us. Okay. <laughs> um, fantastic. Misty. Yeah. What have you prepared this week? Okay, I am so excited to tell you about this book. So I had never heard of this book until a couple of weeks ago when my friend Jesse, who I keep bringing up on the podcast because he's awesome, recommended this to me. And now that I've read it, 
I want to read it four more times and give a copy to everyone I know. This is like Gone with the Wind. Yes, which I've also, as you know, have given a copy of that to everyone I know. (laughs) Um, So this is the charisma myth, how anyone can master the art and science of personal magnetism by Olivia Fox Cabane. Have you ever heard of it? No, but her name sounds like... A rock star. Olivia like, Fox Cabane. Cabane, not Cobain. No, C-A-B-A-N-E. Oh, Cabane. Cabane. Cabane, Cabane. So I think... So basically the premise of the book, as I'm hearing, is like you don't have to... Ha- you, 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 Charisma isn't something you're born with. Yes, exactly. And what's Maybe interesting... Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's charisma. Maybe it's charisma, lean. Yes. Um, what she... Cabane. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was only about seven seconds behind. I love it. Um, so I actually, when I first heard of this book, I wasn't very intrigued. Okay. I don't, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking well, about charisma. You also, well, you have natural charisma. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just hadn't thought about it or thought about how I can get it or get more of it mm-hmm. or any of that. And it sounded... I don't know. It sounds sort of like a light, fluffy book. But it this... sounds like something I would see on an infomercial late at night. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you need more charisma? And there's like a reenactment of a woman just like slopping oh. slopping soup all over herself in black and white. We don't know why, but or it's like, not charismatic. Just, just put the spoon to your mouth. That's oh, right. I spill the bowl. Yeah, she just takes the soup and like dumps a pot and dumps it over her yeah. head. Um, but it's actually super science-based <gasps> and fascinating. And it's all about like behavioral science and Wow. Why we res- why we respond to small cues? Okay, well, and- I'm here for it, and I know I- that my STEM friend was very here. That's for right. It. I am so here for it. Okay. I really love the ones based on practical evidence. So, um, this book was first published in 2012. Okay. So, quick uh, notes about the author. This is from both her website and Wikipedia. So, Fox Cabain was born in Paris to French physicist Bernard Cabain, Bernard Cabain, and American psychotherapist Celie Fox. She's half American and Jewish, um, and this cites that she was ostracized for her awkwardness, socioeconomic class, and nationality. She subsequently earned two law degrees in international and European business law from the Pantheon Sorbonne University and one in German business law from the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. So she's real stupid. She's real dumb. Okay. Her early life influenced her work, especially her parents' fields of research science and behavioral psychology. She also cites her experiences growing up socially inept as forcing her to develop an interest in charisma out of necessity. So... Yeah, them French do not like people who don't have charisma. I, I don't really know that, but I, I have a couple French friends who are listening, so uh, Julianne and Amélie, mm. let us know about the French charisma. Ah, merci. Oh, merci. Écoutez et répétez. Je t'aime. Um, did you say... Quickly listen. listen. Oh, I said listen and repeat. Listen, I've never studied French, but I feel like I have an affinity. I so, feel um, like you're done. They're probably dying listening to this episode right now. So, um, 
So uh, Olivia Fox Cabane has lectured at Stanford, Yale, Harvard, MIT, the Marine Corps War College, and the United Nations. Yeah, she's dumb. As a keynote speaker and executive coach to the leadership of Fortune 500 companies, she helps people become more persuasive, influential, and inspiring. Okay. In addition to being a columnist for Forbes and the Huffington Post, oh, uh, <laughs> Olivia, Those are opposite ends of the spectrum. That's right. Olivia is often featured in media such as the New York Times, Bloomberg, or Business Week. She has been profiled in the Wall Street Journal as well as NPR's Marketplace show. Olivia currently serves as director of innovative leadership for Stanford's Start X program. And her course, this made me laugh, her course at Berkeley's business school was so popular that university staff had to guard the entrance to ensure that only the students admitted to that course gained entrance. I actually believe it after reading this book. Okay, fine. Is it because her charisma was just so... Just off the charts. I've got to get into that professor's class. I just, I can feel her on campus and I'm following the vibe. Olivia has both... Lisa's face was like, oh, good try. I liked it. Um, Olivia has both French and American nationalities and is fluent in four languages. Mm. Her books have been translated into 25 languages, and she was the youngest person ever to have been appointed foreign trade advisor to the French government. Très bien fait. Ah, way. I was going to say good job, and then I forgot how to say it. Très bien fait. Oh, that's it. Uh, Yes. Ouais. Je parle français. Un peu. So, as far as my first impression, mm-hmm. so the cover is really funny. It has a regular chip, a regular chicken on it, the brown kind. I I wrote in parentheses a buff Orpington, y'all, for okay. my chicken knowing friends. Someone <laughs> is very hipster. Well, I once had to order chickens as pets for my boss. I've always and wanted so, chickens as pets. Dude. Pets that I can eat. From their cloaca. Thank you. Cloaca? That's the hole that eggs come out of. Okay, so who's showing off her chicken knowledge now? Is that STEM? Did you not just That's make fun biology. of me? That's biology. It is technically science. Okay. <laughs> um, so the cover. <laughs> now, had you said the genus of that chicken, I would have called you STEM. But you just saying the lowly name of the the breed. I'm done. Okay. I'm out. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's um late here in the podcast studio. Yeah. We're doing our best. Okay. So real intimate here. The cover. Okay. We're gonna make it through this book. It's I a swear brown to God. Or a it's buff a regular something. buff Orpington. Thank it's you. a regular brown chicken, but it has a fully spread out peacock feather plume behind it. No. And I put in italics. This chicken is magnetic. <laughs> So <laughs> I want to fuck that chicken. That's one interpretation. So it is two, 272 pages. Okay. Um, and as far as I know, we always are like, so what did it feel like when you picked it up? Well, I read this via audiobook per okay. the huge. Uh-huh. And the narrator is a bit soft spoken and not very charismatic. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, well, and there are a few. There are quite a few places in the audiobook, especially towards the end, where it sounds like they got pickups, like they forgot to say the first half of a sentence. <laughs> they mean, forgot to say the first <laughs> half of a sentence. <laughs> well, and the audio quality I'm just changes my, drastically. Nothing up. <laughs> Charisma. So, so someone will be like, so the charisma myth is something like this. And da, 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 da. Right. And it just, right. anyway, um, I found it amusing. Okay. 
All right, let's dive right let's in. Let's dive in. What's the so? What's the premise? The premise is that I can learn how to have anybody charisma. can master the science and art of personal magnetism. I so love it. I love it. The book starts with an example of how Marilyn Monroe could turn charisma on or off. The story is that she could ride a subway and not be noticed by anyone, and that she proved this one day with a photographer following her. And she stepped onto a great. And, and that's right. That's right. And then when she turned on her charisma, suddenly she was engulfed by fans. Okay. But they literally didn't notice her before. Um, the author uses this as an example to argue that charisma is not something someone has, but something someone can learn and turn on and off like a switch. So we should start by defining exactly what charisma is. The dictionary defines charisma as, quote, compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others, end quote. Okay. Fox Cabane says that Charisma is powerful. It can draw people to you and make them want to help you in any way they can. It gets people to like you, trust you, and want to follow you. It can be the difference between being seen as a leader or a follower. Or a cult leader. Exactly. That's what I also said. Um, and and she actually brings that up because charisma can be dangerous and okay. be a powerful tool. So she says that charismatic people have more romantic options and experience less stress in life. Is this me? Yeah, that's what she says. Um, In business, charisma allows you to retain talent and makes people want to work with your company. She says studies show that people who work for charismatic leaders experience their work as more meaningful and have trust in their leaders than those following effective but non-charismatic leaders. This immediately made me think of cults and cult leaders. Um, She says charisma is what allows one saleswoman to to sell five times as much product as her colleagues. Because, I mean, I think we've – there was an NPR story about um, car, a car dealership in New Jersey, and there was one guy there that outsold everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was from um, This American Life. This American Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Um, it was like a year or two ago. So she says uh, – Olivia Fox Cabane says charisma is equally as valuable outside of the business environment. It's useful for a mom who needs to influence her community members or her children's teachers and can help high school students nail their college interviews. Or for people who want to suddenly become recognized on the subway. That's right. Patients uh, patients are more likely to adhere to the medical treatments charismatic doctors prescribe versus non-charismatic doctors. So this is really interesting. She mentions Bill Clinton. Five times throughout this book, maybe six, because she got he a was crush? no, he was known for his charisma. <laughs> that's true. That's why he could get he could get away with so much. So, um, yeah, and that's what made me think of the flip side of charisma. Before we even dive into it, is like, oh, that's how you get away with a ton of bad behavior, but people love you. Yeah, they just love you. Yeah. So she says charisma does not have anything to do with attractiveness. She uses the example of Winston Churchill as a man who was not known for his <laughs> sex appeal. Totally true. Yet is one of the most charismatic leaders of our time. I loved the example she used to highlight how people on the receiving end of charisma are affected. So here's her example. Okay. In 1886, William Gladstone was up against Benjamin Disraeli for Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. This was the Victorian era, so whoever won was going to rule half of the world. In the last week before the election, both men happened to take the same young woman out to dinner. The press asked her what impressions the candidates had made on her, and she said— After dining with Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest person in England. But after dining with Mr. Disraeli, I thought I was the cleverest person in England. The man who won the election was Mr. Disraeli, the man who made others feel intelligent, impressive, and fascinating. 
So that's sort of the power of charisma and the effect it can have on people. The myth about charisma is that it's something that people innately have or something they're born with. But the author says this is false. Um, That, in fact, charisma is the result of a set of nonverbal behaviors that you can learn, practice, and master. Another myth about charisma is that you have to be an extrovert. She says this is not the case. You can be a charismatic introvert, which I think is what I am, Mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are three main components to charisma. Okay. Power, Mm -hmm. presence, Mm -hmm. and warmth. I really feel like she missed an opportunity. We needed a third P there. Power, presence, warmth, and... No, Pray tell. Power, presence, and oh, warmth. And warmth. That's right. And warmth. Um, it's delicious on spaghetti. Thank you. So, so presence. She says presence is the foundation of charisma. She defines presence as having a moment-to-moment awareness of what's happening. Sure. And I'm glad because I think people talk about presence a lot, but they don't throw definitions out there very much. So I really appreciated that. The human mind can read facial expressions in 17 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So presence is not something you can fake. Mm-mm. It will be clear to the other person instantly if you are not fully present and your mind is elsewhere. So she says uh, that presence is something Bill Clinton mastered. Mm -hmm. Many people felt that they were the only one in the room when speaking to him. Mm -hmm. The flip side of not being fully present is that you will seem disingenuous. And the moment someone decides you are disingenuous, it is nearly impossible to build trust, rapport, or loyalty. So this is all like first impression stuff. She says presence is a learnable skill. You can increase it with practice or patience. She then walks the reader through a few exercises to increase presence. So she automatically says, like, here's the skill and here's how to get it. Here's how to practice. The first um, the first exercise is basically meditation where you close your eyes and pay attention to the sounds around you, your breathing, or the sensations in your toes. Mm-hmm. She has you do this for one minute to practice, and it's a great reminder that being present is hard. It is hard. I often... Um like to pause and try to do some breathing exercises. And in L.A., there's a lot of people who have lots of different meditation styles and techniques That's and right. apps and um, uh, practices and yogis and whatnot. And I remember when I was telling somebody about how I meditated, like, I just like to bring awareness to a part of my body and see if I can, uh, like, if your eyes are closed, like, Misty, close your eyes right now. And if you're listening, close your eyes. And Sav, close your eyes. Not if you're driving. Um Yeah, it's fine. Um, (laughs) Right now, without moving your body or touching anything, can you feel and know where, exactly where, the web is between your thumb and your first finger on your right hand? Like that webbing. Yeah. Isn't that – and like to think about that or do you know what it feels like on Mm. the top of your left knee? Like where is that exact spot? It's really hard without actually like touching. You can open your eyes if if you're driving. Um, it's really hard without like touching that. But to to bring that kind of awareness to the body, I remember somebody was like, "Wait, like you're not chanting?" And I was like, "No. Sometimes I'm just bringing awareness yeah. to try to stay present. It's really hard to think about other things. It is and trying to figure out like what does my toenail feel like right now. That's exactly right. And something else that can be really um a, a really quick and fast way to get into that too, just. Just notice three points of tension in your body. Yeah. You can say them out loud. Same thing. It's yeah. just don't try to change them. Just notice them and name three emotions you're feeling. That's something we do in voice club all the time. Yeah. But it's a great way to drop into yourself and your body. Yeah. It's really nice. And if you want to be present with someone else, notice three things about them. 
to stay. You know what I mean? Oh, look, the, like your your irises are so blue right now. You have such beautiful eyes, oh, and your eyebrows you. have a really nice shape. And I like the way that one of your um, hoodie strings is twisted. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Look, Thanks, see, look. Misty. I already made Lisa more endeared toward me with my charisma. I, mean, <laughs> I would, I, I would blow up a building for you. The, oh, guys, someone seriously? I said it on the last episode. Come get me. <laughs> um. So she says our our brains are wired to be distracted. This is why being present is so hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Because we are wired to pay attention to new stimuli. Mm-hmm. It's what helped our ancestors su- survive. After all, new stimuli could eat us. Yes. It could be something coming into the picture to kill us. Um. Plus, our society encourages distraction. She says this can actually lead uh lead us to a continuous state of partial attention and. In which we never give our full attention to any single thing. And my note here is that I this terrified me when I read it. Really? Well, because think about she's saying like we could actually continuously never be fully present ever in, unless we practice this. Yes. I think that yes. And – Yes. And also, I mean, think about it. Of course, you can't be fully present 24 hours a day. No, you can't. But she's saying never being fully present. I if you're I will say I will say the last few days I have felt not fully present in any moment because I am thinking about the podcast while I'm working on something else. And then I would say fully present at the moment if you stubbed your toe. That's right. That's right. But but. It it was it is something to consider if you know this might be something that if this is resonating with you you might want to start with a little thirty second can you drop in and just be fully present even for ten seconds you know what I mean just because our brains do get wired with what we pay attention to so if we're not practicing presence they won't be wired that way yeah so she says don't I pay- guess I just don't like a a threat I don't like the threat that she's putting out there yeah this is where Lisa's just distaste for authority and it's not a threat she's not saying like I won't let you be present she's saying no, like she's saying you could possibly never be present and I say that's bullshit mm. Okay, so (laughs) she says, don't beat yourself up if you have trouble being fully present at first. It's something that's hard for almost all of us. Even a small increase in your present skills can have a large effect on those around you. She says the next time you're having a conversation with someone, check in with yourself to see if your mind is fully engaged or wandering. Including so, you are no longer listening to the person that you're talking to. Well, I love that you said that because she says uh, check in to see if your mind is fully engaged or wandering, including preparing your next sentence. Because I think a lot of us sit across from someone and are just thinking of our response, our response, our response, and not actually listening we rarely listen to understand yet we wait to respond and i have in my notes lisa how is your mind doing right now oh as i'm reading this i'll tell you what learning how to improvise really trains your brain to listen to listen to understand versus wait to respond because what happens to every improviser is that um inevitably in front of a crowd you will not be listening because you're waiting to respond and the entire audience doesn't react in terms of the way that you think they will. Yeah. This palpable sense of disgust Mm. of them being like, why did I pay money to watch them? I, she just walked through the table they set up or she just called them sister when they're clearly mother daughter. Mm -hmm. And the visceral reaction that you have is so intense that you learn. It is actually easier to not know what you're going to say than it is 
to uh, to try and to control try and, it. Mm-hmm. And so you oh. learn very quickly um, through that painful experience. Yeah, you can just shame just yourself practice. into being present. That's exactly right. I love right. it. Um, it's such a visceral experience that you learn and then you build that skill up over time, over time. I love that. And what I love what you said about the audience and you can feel that palpable disgust. The danger here is if you're not present, there might be palpable disgust, or, or disgust, but you're not picking up on it because it's not coming from 100 people. It's yeah. coming from the person sitting across from you, which can be equally right. damaging, especially if this is a boss or someone who can help you in some way or that you need them to help you. Well, exactly. Way. What I feel like when, when I would travel and in my old life of, of being a communications workshop facilitator, we would say, listen, uh, the we're attuned to these small changes, right? Like mm-hmm. the gift of a human being isn't that I can run very fast like a cheetah or that I can lift 10 times my weight like an ant. or it's that, that I, I can, can side-eye you until you crumble. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's that I am very attuned to minute changes on mm-hmm. your face. So yeah. when the alligator catches me, I'll know if he's irritated or angry. Like that's the gift that I'll know. <laughs> but so when you stop listening and you think that you're getting away with it, you're not. Because you can tell immediately when somebody else stops to that's listen, right. right? The minute that they switch into thinking about what they have to do tonight, you can tell. Yeah. So you and, can't get and away she with also, it. She also says that. Think about a time that you weren't fully paying attention. Do you think the other person noticed? And I think I was like, oh, shit, out loud in my car. Um, oh, shit. Oh, shit. So if you do find that your mind is wandering mm-hmm. when you're across from someone else, focus on your breath or your toes for a few seconds and then focus back on the other person. I love so that. So you sort of grab awareness within you and then focus right back on it. And it is a skill. And it takes time and it takes practice. I like to say, excuse me, but you're being so boring I can't focus. Could you please make it a little more interesting? Hey, you were you made really strong eye contact when you did that, and I felt I felt weirdly taken care of. So just kidding, I don't do that. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> she says being fully present changes our body language in small, powerful ways. True. It doesn't matter how much time you have; it's about how present you are in each interaction. The people that you are with will. F- Uh, The people that you are with feel like the most important thing in the world to you at that moment. And in just five minutes, you can build trust and an emotional connection where there was none before. This is a really weird thing to say. But what you just said made me think, do predators have charisma? Yeah, for sure. Ted Bundy had a shit ton of charisma. Yeah. I mean, just a ton. Oh, there's a new Netflix show. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. The Ted Bundy tapes. Uh, people will walk away from you feeling cared for and present, and it can increase your ability to enjoy life. Hmm. So a lot of this, she focuses on the benefit of other people, but really the benefit of you and how it's going to make your life easier, which I like. Okay. So we're going to dive into the other two components of charisma, which are power and warmth. Warmth. And Warmth. Research has consistently shown that power and warmth are the two dimensions we evaluate first and foremost in assessing other people. Fox Cabane says being seen as powerful means being perceived as able to affect the world around us, whether through influence on or authority over others, large amounts of money, intelligence, sheer physical strength, or high social status. We look for clues about a person's power in their physical appearance, like their clothing, um, the way they carry themselves, their posture, others' reactions to this person, and most importantly, their body language. Warmth, simply put, is goodwill towards others. Warmth tells us whether or not people will want to use whatever power they have 
in our favor. Being seen as warm means being perceived as benevolent, altruistic, caring, or willing to impact our world in a positive way. Warmth is assessed almost entirely through body language. Warmth. Warmth. So how do we engage power in warmth? <laughs> yeah. I almost got through it without laughing. <laughs> As humans, we instinctually scan for clues, expensive clothing signals wealth, confident posture signals that you must have something to be confident about. Friendly body language leads us to assume good intentions. In essence, people will tend to accept whatever you project. Yeah. This is very powerful because even if you're not feeling confident or warm or powerful, you can project this and people will just accept it. Yes. May I just also interject with Amy Cuddy's work, um, C-U-D-D-Y. She had a very, very uh, successful TED Talk called Power Poses, um, mm. that when you stand a certain way, because yeah. the mind-body connection is yeah, so that's great, in here. Yeah. that you actually affect the way that you the, feel. You, yeah, your your physical stance affects your physiology. Yes. So it, it may it maybe isn't so one or the other, but is you are projecting something, but you're also in, internally starting to feel it as well. So, yes. Let me tell you, uh, I was in full starfish pose yep. out on the street in Los Feliz. I was about to walk onto um, a movie lot for an interview for a job. Full starfish pose. And I thought... I'm not going to run into anybody I know. I don't give a shit about anybody who drives by. I care about this interview. I want to do well in this meeting. That's what it's about. So I was outside of my car doing full power pose because I always do that before an interview. And I hear from behind me, Misty? No. And I turn around and it was my friend Ross from voice class. And I just like full, I mean, we're talking like wide stance, arms up in the air, full starfish. And I was like, hey. (laughs) But guess what? And what are the chance? Like, I, I never would have run into him if I weren't doing that pose I know. But I got the job. So okay. there you go, girl. Um, but it does. It does. And it does make me feel better. And taking up space on the couch, you know, in the waiting area is good. And yeah, so she covers all of that in here, which is great. So just by increasing your projection of power or your projection of warmth, you increase your level of charisma. But if you can project both power and warmth, mm-hmm. you maximize it. Mm. Figuring out who has the power to help us and who is willing to do so has always been critical to our survival. Sure. This is why we as human beings are so attracted to charismatic people because it means safety. They have power and warmth. Yep, and warmth. Fox Cabane says someone who projects power without warmth may be seen as impressive, but isn't necessarily seen as charismatic and can come off as arrogant, cold, or standoffish. On the other hand, someone who possesses warmth without power can be likable, but isn't necessarily perceived as charismatic and can come across as overeager, subservient, or desperate to please. I'm thinking of presidential campaigns. The latter, I'm thinking of Howard Dean with his yell moment. He had warmth, but no power. Yeah. Remember when he was like, Yes. Okay. So power without warmth, think uh, charismatic leaders, Hitler, Mussolini. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because charisma, there is a, and we'll get into this, there's four types of charisma, she says. One of them is authoritative charisma. Um, But this is why it's so important to have the right levels because I know people who are just 
so lovely and so likable, but they don't exude power, and it's easy to write them off. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, when she said that, I was like, oh, that's what that is. That's what that eagerness Interesting. is. Interesting. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So for charisma, your body language matters much more than your words do. But if you're thinking you can simply learn some body language to project presence, power, and warmth. You're to, right. You're wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so, practicing my charisma. Thank you for being present. Thank you. <laughs> so much of our body's function is controlled by our subconscious mind, like breathing, our heart beating, and yes, body language. The human face alone is capable of thousands of expressions, including tiny thank you lisa is making the most scary face (laughs) it's ridiculous um the human face alone is capable of thousands of expressions including tiny micro expressions that others can subconsciously pick up on Mm -hmm. and remember we can read the human face in 17 milliseconds Mm -hmm. so it's not something you can fake Mm -hmm. um it's impossible to consciously control all the aspects of body language On the other hand, since our subconscious is responsible for managing so much of our body language, if we can control that, otherwise known as our internal state of being, all the right body language will follow. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because um, when I work with presenters, Mm -hmm. I I don't tell them, like, here's where your hands go. Yes. Right? I'm like, what do you want the audience to feel? That's right. right. I want them to feel welcome. Well, if you're welcoming somebody in... Your hands and you stand in a very specific way. Yeah. It's, Imagine it's welcoming. Imagine it, how you felt when you were welcomed. Right. Yeah. So she says if your internal state is anti charismatic, no amount of effort and willpower can make up for it. Your micro expressions and real feelings, feelings will eventually come to the surface. On the other hand, if your internal state is charismatic, then the right body language will flow forth effortlessly. Um, and uh, as, a, as an example of this, if you don't believe that humans can pick up on these things, things, think about a social smile versus a genuine smile. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. It makes me want to punch like you a, in the face. A fake laugh? Misty, what's your fake? No, that's, I can tell that's not a real laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, in a, like at a cocktail party. Your, <laughs> that's it. Really? Oh, we got to <laughs> yeah. work on that. What is, what's your fake laugh? <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck off. Bye. Um, so the way she teaches charisma in this book is to first teach the mental states that produce charismatic behaviors uh-huh. and then teach the external ways to signal charisma. Because so internal to external. Yeah, because you want to – because all of those thousands of tiny, subtle adjustments will come from the internal state. And then there are things like taking a wider stance when you're on stage to, sure. to exude power, like these sort of things sure, you can sure, add sure, on sure, top. Sure. Um, so she says it must be done this way or else it's like putting some nice touches on a house with a bad foundation. It may look nice, but at the first signs of an earthquake, it will all come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. For example, one internal state we can cultivate to become more charismatic is the ability to become comfortable with ambiguity or uncertainty. Sure. This is a huge one. She Yes, because if something happens, mm-hmm. people look thrown, we aren't as comfortable with something happens with somebody who manages to keep their cool. Yes, and Think about negotiations in business. So you're sitting there. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. If you're the first to buckle or fold because you can't stand the silence, you're not comfortable in the ambiguity, et cetera, it could have a huge impact mm-hmm. on the future of your business, your company, your salary, your family, mm-hmm. you know? So um, she says 
She says the ability to become comfortable with ambiguity or uncertainty is one of the strongest predictors of success in business. So how do we do this? She has a few exercises and strategies for every single thing that she brings up in this book. I set mousetraps everywhere and then take an Ambien. That's right. That's exactly right. And I don't know what that accomplishes. Well, but it, I, listen, I have to lean into that ambiguity. It makes you present. It makes me present, and it makes me react to, like, an ever-changing environment. <laughs> and then I have to do so with clarity. But I'm not clear because it's an MBM. I hope whatever this character is writes her own self-help book because— She does. My it's God. called Make Yourself Better with MBM. <laughs> Sponsored by MBM. <laughs> um, one of the uh, exercises she has for becoming um, comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty is something called a responsibility transfer. Um, so what we most want to know in uncertain situations is that everything will work out. Yeah. That's really the thing we're it's craving. Gonna it's going to be fine. If we knew that would happen, the uncertainty wouldn't be so hard to tolerate because yes. we'd already know. Yes. So she, this exercise that's called the responsibility transfer is a visualization of physically transferring your responsibility to something else. Oh. Um, so you can go to www.charismamyth.com slash transfer to get the full exercise and put it into practice. So she actually has a written guide of all of her exercises what? and walks you through them She's in the book. She's giving that away for free? I think it's for people who bought the book, but here we are. I checked it out on the OverDrive app, and all of you can too, including the one person listening in Armenia. Hello. The one person listening in New Zealand. Hello. We've got four in Finland. Hi. The 16 of you in the UK. Oh, hello. I know. And then there's hundreds in the United States. Thank you. We love you. And hey, 12 Canadians. Oh, um, good day. Yeah, so I'll also give you the website for all of her exercises at the end of the episode. Okay, but, okay. well, yeah, business, okay, we'll, we'll, okay, moving forward. Moving forward. So self-criticism is one of the most common obstacles to great performance in any field. It's known as the silent killer of business. And boners. That is exactly right, because no one talks about it. That's right. <laughs> I am exercising self-control in this moment with my jokes. Self-doubt is lack of confidence in our ability to achieve something. She mentions imposter syndrome where competent people feel like they don't really know what they're doing and are waiting for someone to expose them. If you're in your car, toot your horn right now if you've ever had imposter syndrome. Studies have shown that 70% of the population have felt imposter syndrome at one time or another. Oh, by the way, she uses this example of... um, Stanford, like they're, I guess it's like the new class of Stanford or one of their graduate programs or something. Whenever she gives this speech, she always asks the people who feel like they are the one person that the admissions committee made a mistake on to raise their hand. And like, and without fail, two thirds of the class always puts their hand up. Amazing. And these are, it's, it's especially true for high achieving people is what she says. Um, it's, it's more prevalent at higher performing levels. And today we finally have effective tools to handle it because in the 1970s, that's when imposter syndrome, the term was first coined. So um, she says it's higher It's more prevalent at higher performing levels, and that may be because the cost of failure becomes higher and higher. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we start getting more and more worried. Negativity exists in the human brain to spur us into action. It's a good thing. These feelings are uncomfortable, 
Because they're designed to be. Self-doubt, self-criticism. Yep. They helped us survive. So we felt uncomfortable. We did something about it. Necessity is the mother of Mm -hmm. invention. She says that with practice, we can learn to handle almost any internal discomfort like self-doubt, annoyance, impatience, or irritation. We can do this in a three-step process. Destigmatize discomfort, neutralize negativity, and rewrite reality. Sure. So I'll walk you through those really quickly. Destigmatizing discomfort is all about rec- recognizing that it's normal, natural, and everyone goes through it. Everybody gets a boner problem. Everybody. I have one right now. And our a, pr- a boner problem, not a boner. And our culture, we've forgotten. We've gotten in the habit that any kind of unsettlement is a sign that something is wrong. Yes. Or we put a time clock on it. If we feel X way a long time after a certain huge event, then something must be wrong with us. If you but, have a boner for more than four hours, you should call a doctor. You sh- you probably should. Or, or just, you know, a, a cheering committee because good for you. But she says this isn't true. It leads us to uh, – it leads us to feeling bad about feeling bad. So when you want to destigmatize discomfort, remind yourself that you're not alone. There are 7 billion people on the planet, and chances are many people are going through the same thing. Yeah, we're approaching 8. We're getting up to 8 now. Yep. So with shame, she says shame, which is the feeling uh, – Feeling or thinking that we are unlovable mm-hmm. is one of the most toxic emotions to health and happiness. Mm-hmm. This is the real killer of progress and success. She says Brene Brown, whom we just, <gasps> just covered on our last episode, um, who is a shame researcher, defines it as the fear of being unlovable. It's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is so powerful because it conveys a message about our fundamental acceptability as human beings. And in survival terms, if the tribe rejects you, yeah. you die. Yeah. It's literally a life and death situation, or so our brain makes us feel that way, yeah. which is why we keep it so quiet. We don't want anyone to know we could die. Yeah. Knowing how to remove the stigma of shame is critical to charisma. Shame is a standard part of the human experience, and everyone feels it from time to time. So neutralizing negativity. The next step is to recognize that your thoughts aren't necessarily accurate at all. Mm -hmm. A tone of annoyance in a person's voice or a look on their face that we think is coldness toward us or a reservation about us, remember that there's a good chance it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. They may be sick, worried, or in discomfort themselves. We think our mind has an accurate grasp on reality, but it doesn't. Well, Um, it has an accurate grasp on what we think is happening. Yeah. But we only have one filter to view the world through. Exactly. Our brain skews reality on a regular basis, and she includes some scientific studies to illustrate this. Um, But basically, our brain filters our reality and, and environments for relevant information or pays attention to what we've asked it to. Through this process, our mind does not provide us with a complete view of reality. It presents us only some elements and not others. Usually this filtering doesn't matter because the missing elements just are small things. But sometimes it presents a very skewed view because our brain has been designed to pay attention to negative elements. Mm, This this is also known as the negativity bias. Mm -hmm. This is why even when you're flooded with positive feedback from a boss or a romantic partner, you might only remember or focus on the one negative thing they had to say. Yeah. This is something that happens to me constantly. Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. So here is how you neutralize negative thoughts through the following techniques. Don't assume your thoughts are accurate. Assume you're missing a ton of elements, including positive ones. Visualize your thoughts as graffiti on a wall. 
Assign a label to your negative experience. Oh, this is self-criticism. This is anxiety. This is anger, etc. Just naming what you're feeling can help to neutralize it. Depersonalize the experience. Instead of thinking, I'm feeling ashamed, try there is shame being felt. Mm -hmm. It's a subtle adjustment, but it'll depersonalize. Imagine you're a scientist observing a subject. How interesting. There are self-critical thoughts arising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine seeing yourself from afar, zoom out so far that you can see planet Earth hanging in space, then zoom in, zoom in, zoom in until um, you're finally in the room you're in. Picture yourself with little electrical impulses whizzing across your brain, which are thoughts, and realize that you are just one little being having a particular experience at this moment. Yeah. Um, visualize your mental chatter as coming from a radio and see if you can turn down the volume or even put the radio to the side and let it chatter away. So she's got all of these exercises. She at really the end. does give like a lot of different opportunities. That's cool. It's really nice. Now, here's what's important it's very important not to try to suppress these negative thoughts. Uh, A research study that asked participants to spend a few minutes not thinking about a yellow Jeep oh, is her example. Oh, was a yellow Jeep. And I, I have not been able to stop thinking All about I it since I heard this. Curious George, the man in the big yellow hat is yellow yeah. Jeep. Yes. And not only did most of these participants immediately start thinking about the yellow Jeep, some reported thinking about it for days or weeks after. <laughs> so here's what I'm, I'm finding interesting is that if we think about uh, back to a couple episodes ago with the five mm-hmm. second rule, uh-huh. where Mel Robbins said just five, four, three, two, one, stop thinking about it. Think, yeah. of, you know, and we had a conversation about it. Yeah. I, I think that this is research as to why that might be challenging. Yes. So basically, trying to suppress a self critical thought only increases its frequency. This is why neutralizing can be much more powerful than trying to suppress these thoughts. So, Allowing the thought to exist, mm-hmm. being aware of it, yeah. and then providing yourself with some um, realistic feedback or context or, yeah. this is how I'm viewing the world, but is that how everyone else is viewing the world is, yeah. is helpful. Or, oh, this is present for me and this is anger, period. That can be versus enough. Versus internalizing it. Yeah, versus mm-hmm. going, oh, God, I shouldn't feel angry and mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to feel angry and now I'm angry by for feeling – it's like yeah. – it's kind of that feedback loop from hell I that Mark the Manson, down. Mm-hmm. That's right. Look at us remembering our books. We're nailing it. So the next one, uh, I balked at when I heard her say it, but then as she explained it, it made a lot more sense. So the next one is rewrite reality. Okay. So if you're like, what the fuck is that? Stand by. She uses an example to illustrate what she means by this. Imagine it's early in the morning and you're on your way to a high stakes meeting that if it goes well, could change the course of your career. Oh, boy. You're feeling calm. Everything's going well. You're prepared. Suddenly, a black SUV cuts you off, then slows and slows and speeds up erratically in your lane, causing you to slam on your brakes. Then it changes lanes again, causing the person next to you to screech their tires. Your body has had a significant response to this. Sure. Your heartbeat has risen from fight or flight. Adrenaline. You're flooded with stress hormones. You're feeling angry at this idiot driver. You need to get back to your charismatic calm state before your meeting, but you only have a few minutes. And by the way, anger is especially hard to flush out of your system. So in this situation, you're angry, you're flooded, this idiot driver cut you off. You need to rewrite your reality. Consider this. 
What if you happened to learn that this reckless driver was actually a distraught mother whose baby was choking in the back seat? So and, she's asking you to replace yeah, your anger with empathy. Yeah. She was and and she was desperately trying to pull over while reaching back to save her baby's life. Would that immediately reduce your anger? I have goosebumps right now because for most people it would. And when I I'm heard special. That, okay. I'm thinking so no. So here, here's the takeaway. Choosing to change your belief about what happened, otherwise known as cognitive reappraisal, effectively decreases the brain's stress levels. Stan- Stanford proved this with MRIs in a study. In most situations, we don't know what motivates a person's actions. Of course, we're lacking context. Yeah, so we might as well choose the explanation that is most helpful to us and create a version of events that gets us into the correct state we need for charisma. Misty, can I share something with you? Always. So I know a little bit about storytelling and a little bit of how the brain functions in storytelling. And our brains are wired for story. Yes, they are. So we um, we insert missing information if we don't have it. That's right. Yes, we do. So if I tell you that I went to the grocery store and I uh, loaded up my cart and I got up to the cash the cashier and I realized I didn't have my wallet and I couldn't mm-hmm. pay for the groceries and then I got home and put all the groceries away where they belonged. Right now, ah. your brain is coming I just made up, up with like three or several five. opportunities, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. how that could be. Yeah. Um, and so our brain, because we learn in story we're required to fill in that. Our brain just makes it make sense. Yeah. So this is why when we don't understand why somebody would cut us off, yeah. our brain, because of the way that we're wired, immediately generates some possibilities. Yeah. And they're always through our lens, which mm-hmm. is this guy is being rude. He's not paying attention, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and we tend to take things personally. Why is this of happening course. to me? Why are they doing this to me? Of course. Well, because mm-hmm. I just had a huge influx of like yeah. cortisol yeah. or shame or whatever. Yeah. The, and so... I love this idea of reframing yeah. with assuming the best and um, uh, and triggering your empathy because it is really going to change. It changes the context and it, it changes the story. And again, it benefits you. Yeah, I love and what it's, she said. It's not do even, it to benefit yourself. Yeah, yeah, and what I love is not even assuming the best. It's going, oh my God, that person was in crisis. Yeah. That's assuming well, the worst, but. Yeah, not the best in terms of that, like the best but situation. But that they weren't trying to hurt you. Yes, they had the best intentions. Exactly, exactly. And I, I just think that's so powerful because the whole point of this book is to get the right chemicals and physiology in your brain so that you feel relaxed, confident, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like like projecting warmth and power and empathy. And start a cult. And so, yes. And so she, I, I'm excited to get to the part about cults. But um, but yeah, it's it's very, very powerful tool because then in that moment you can quickly switch over rather than trying to wait for the anger to naturally dissipate because— It may s- not for hours. Well, sometimes you do. Then a difficult phone call comes through and you know, like, now you got to hop on that conference call and you didn't have any time to get back to it. So I love that as this, like, kind of hat yeah. trick to pull out. and I out. think it's so smart for her to say— you know, we're going to invent the story. Let's yeah. invent one that benefits us. Exactly. Yeah. So she um, has a lot more great techniques for um, cognitive reappraisal in the book, including something called getting satisfaction, where basically if you're resentful of someone, you can't <laughs> – not that kind of satisfaction. Lisa is making <laughs> cheeky, cheeky little raised eyebrow faces mm-hmm. at me. Um, basically, if there's somebody that you're feeling resentment towards, you can write them – a fully detailed letter 
not send it. And as soon as you've gotten out everything you want to say on the page, get out a fresh page, write out the response you wish they would give you, Mm -hmm. which is like an extra step that I hadn't heard. I'd heard about sending the letter before, Mm -hmm. but just the I'm sorry, you're right, I hear you, I shouldn't have done that, whatever you need. And often that is enough for our brain. It's a way for us to get satisfaction without actually having to confront that person or like force them into some kind of apology that takes the edge off so that we can continue working with them. Okay. So, yeah, I really I, – this book is well, we're filled telling with a story practical of what tools. we want to have happen. Yeah. So she even – at the end of the chapter, she has a checklist you can go through when you're feeling negative, self-critical, or uncomfortable to get back into a charismatic mindset. It includes things like take a deep breath, de-dramatize, de-stigmatize, neutralize, consider a few alternate realities, and visualize a responsibility transfer. So um, one technique that is guaranteed to give you an edge in charisma is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which we've already talked about. Um, but she says that in order to do this – you must lean into the feelings of discomfort. Come on, Sheryl Sandberg. I know, right? Uh, the number one, it gives your mind something to focus on in that moment and brings you back into presence. Um, and that's basically it. Like, oh God, I'm uncomfortable. I'm sweating. Oh look, I'm sweating, and now I'm back in this moment. Right. Ugh. So she has tons of exercises for you to practice this by cr- by intentionally creating uncomfortable situations, including maintaining eye contact longer than you would with strangers or to face all of the people in an elevator you're riding head on or to strike up conversations at coffee shops. Um, you can find all of the exercises at charismamyth.com slash discomfort. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like, oh, look, I'm sweating would be the title of my autobiography. Oh, my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So she's a big fan of visualization, as you could have guessed, to get your subconscious mind to display the right body language. Um, She says you can also put music on that energizes you. And you can also include movement. So like a triumphant fist bump or confident posture, it sends all of those signals Mm -hmm. uh, to your brain and changes the physiology. She says even 30 seconds of visualization before a performance or speech can have an effect. Um, She says that one student at MIT called this a real-life Jedi mind trick during final exams. And this is my own note. She mentions this in the book. This is a very dark side note. She says that MIT is known for having high suicide rates around final exam time and that they're 38% higher than Harvard's suicide rates around exam time, which is fucking crazy. And I had no idea that these – I didn't know there was a suicide problem at these high-achieving universities. And maybe we should do a mini-set about it. But, like, I don't know. I found that very morbid and fascinating. Um, so the point is MIT has actually started to give out visualization CDs to help calm its students down during the stressful nice. time. Nice, Mitt. So more on warmth. Warmth. On warmth. Warmth is difficult for a lot of us. It could be from upbringing, environment, or personality. Here are three ways to access more warmth. Gratitude. Having gratitude for those in the world around you can give access to warmth without actually having to connect with anyone. Thank you. It's the ultimate antidote for negative feelings. And she, again, tons of practical tools for this. Warmth towards others through goodwill and compassion. Goodwill is the simple state of wishing others well. She has several strategies for increasing your warmth toward another person, like try to find three things you appreciate about the other person, even if these are small, like their shoes are shined. Mm -hmm. Imagine their past, what it was like for them to grow up. Imagine their present and what they might be feeling right now. Put yourself in their place. This Put one, yourself in their well-shined shoes. That's right. This one's really sweet and a little woo-woo. Imagine that they're wearing a pair of angel wings. No. 
In fact, Fox Cabane says you can imagine this about everyone around you to instantly feel more warmth toward them. No, opposite. I would not feel more warmth <laughs> toward them. So self-compassion. Lisa's just staring at everyone with the death stare. Like, I'm like, Take off your keep wings. your wings and tucked in. Oh, I, lived, in I lived for fairy wings when I was younger. I lived. Oh um, so self-compassion. This is about warmth towards yourself. Self-warmth. Self-warmth. Self-compassion is arguably the hardest area of warmth for most of us. She makes an important distinction between self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-compassion. Self-confidence is our belief in our ability to do or learn how to do something. Yeah. Self-esteem is how much we approve of or value ourselves. It's usually a comparison-based evaluation measured against other people or against our own internal standards uh, for approval. Yeah. Self-compassion is how much warmth we can have for ourselves, especially when we're going through a difficult experience. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. No, that one, that really, I love how she distinguishes those three. Yeah. Well, this next sentence really resonated with me. It's quite possible for people to have high self-confidence, but low self-esteem and very low self-compassion. Oh, my God. That was me in a nutshell before I started therapy. Yes. And that's me a lot. And I toggle back and forth. I used to think, like, am I, like, bipolar? Because sometimes I I feel very confident in my abilities. But so, like, why would anyone let me do this? People could not understand that I didn't have self-compassion when I was so when I was so confident. Yes. And I so, was like, they're totally unrelated. They're completely unrelated. And I, but again, that's why, that's why self-help books can be so powerful. They give us the vocabulary to define these things because it didn't make sense in my head. And then when I read it, I went, that's exactly it. Um, so research indicates that it's more useful to focus on self-compassion than on self-esteem because higher self-compassion leads to lower instances of denial, higher happiness levels, and faster recovery periods after rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so far we've talked about how our mental states can affect our body language, but this works both ways. You can elicit emotions based on your body language. Thank you, Amy Cuddy. Yes. Confident body language triggers a confident mindset. Downtrodden posture creates a downtrodden mood. According to the author, there are four types of charisma, and you can use these different types given the situation you're in. First, body charisma. Second, sexy charisma. Third, shiny shoes charisma. And fourth, voice charisma. <laughs> I'm glad you said voice. I thought you were going to be like hair charisma. Oh, five um, types of charisma. you're having a lot of right now. Yeah. So the first is focus charisma. This requires being fully present with those in front of you. It makes people feel they are understood. Mm -hmm. uh, President Obama had a lot of focus charisma. He sure did. Hmm. He was talking right to me through that TV screen. <sighs> Come Love back. Him. Baby, come back. You can blame it all on Trump. Trump. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay. Visionary charisma is the second kind. Projecting Colts. complete conviction and confidence in a cause. Colts. Mm-hmm. Kindness charisma. Primarily based on warmth, this makes people feel welcome, cherished, and completely accepted. This Aww. is the kind of charisma you might want to use when you've got an employee you need to open up to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then authority charisma, which is based on power. We evaluate it through body language, appearance, title, and the reaction of others. So she goes really like in general depth. General Colin Powell has authority charisma. For sure. For sure. And so did Hitler and blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> They're on the same scale. I mean, uh, 
But she goes into to detail in all of these and how to, like, the pitfalls of each and how, oh, if you're in kindness charisma, you've got to exhibit a little power or you'll come off as too overeager. Like, she really I walks love you through all of this. All right, all right. So um, she also covers the importance of first impressions and handshakes. She even has a 10-step guide to the perfect handshake. Who knew? Okay, I am going to put a pin in it. Yeah. Because while I do love this, there's a piece of me that's feeling like – she is mechanizing charisma so much yeah. that it uh, – myself, mm-hmm. I'm going to say I have charisma. Yeah. I don't think about charisma. Yeah. I don't work for my charisma. Well, she is mechanizing charisma for the people who feel they don't have any of it. Yeah. So for, for you and I, it comes a bit more naturally. So I, I'm – that's great. hmm I question whether or not I could sense somebody's mechanized charisma. Oh, yeah. Well, she actually does talk about that. So we'll get into mirroring body language in a minute. And she is this highly trained coach. And when people use her techniques on her, she's aware of it. But they still have a positive effect. So that's what's really cool is like our brain is so hardwired. When we see people acting like us and mirroring our body language, we're like – Oh, I can trust this person because I recognize this person. Um, So we've really focused a lot on the foundation of all of this. I'm just going to gloss over the last couple of chapters. So, um, oh, here's a fun fact about handshakes. We shake hands with our right hand because that was predominantly our weapon hand centuries ago. Mm -hmm. Even on like a chip. We're wiping our butt. That's right. So to shake with that hand was a sign of trust. Yeah. It was a suspension of danger. I'm not going to stab you. Yeah. And in Roman times, the handshake, used to be a whole arm clasp because up to the elbow because you could feel for daggers. I call it a trapeze grip. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Remember when you and I were trapezing and you gripped me like that? Mm-hmm. Speaking and I listening. I was feeling for daggers. That's right. Midair. That's right. <laughs> I love a midair dagger. Um <laughs> So she she the last part of the book really covers how to present with charisma. Again, those practical tools, speaking and listening with charisma and charismatic body language. Okay, this bitch trying to take <clears throat> over my arena when I am working with presentation people. And I don't like it. <laughs> She has a lot of great pointers for speaking and listening with charisma. Here are two highlights. Okay. Master listeners never interrupt. Let They let themselves be interrupted and pause two seconds before they answer. Your face absorbs, then reacts, and then you answer. The pause makes people feel like you're absorb- absorbing what they've said and truly listening to them. The second is acting interested or even impressed with someone will make them feel great about themselves and then in turn associate all those feelings with you. Quickly through charismatic body language. Emotions can be contagious. The emotions conveyed by your body language in brief, casual encounters can have a ripple effect on your team, both positive and negative. Lisa is now posing across from me. Are you feeling the emotions? I am, actually. It's All making right, well. me feel more joyous All right, and happy. Kabane, I guess So imitating someone's body language, which is called mirroring, uh-huh. activates deep instincts of trust and liking. It's tapping into that primal brain system. Yes. You have to be very sly yes, about this. Yes. You don't want them to notice you're doing this um, for discretion. It's not mimicking. It's not. For discretion, be very selective about which things you mirror, you Lisa's doing it, and she is repeating every goddamn hand movement. How does it feel? Damn it! How does it feel? I'm annoyed. 
so much for charisma. I wish you could see what she's such an antagonizer. <laughs> Fuck you, Cobain. You don't know what you're talking about. Fox she Cobain. Does. She says, um, for discretion when mirroring people, be selective, vary your amplitude. So if they make a big gesture, make a smaller one. No, stop it, Lisa's still doing it. <laughs> but I did it smallly. But here's here's what's important. Smally is what I said. Smally. Smally. Just a smally little pinky flare. But if someone is exhibiting negative body language, you Don't can do that. You uh you can loosely mirror theirs to build rapport. You can mirror them first to establish comfort, then lead the body language yeah, 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 to draw yeah. them out. Um but here's the kicker. If the body language from the other person is defensive or angry, do not mirror it. It Mm -hmm. will just escalate it. Mm -hmm. Instead, try handing the person something to get them out of the posture first. It's so manipulative. It will – I think it's smart because remember our our posture, our our body language affects our physiology. It's so not if you wrong. get them to not break wrong. them crossing their arms. But it's manipulative. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Yes, by definition. Yes. Um this is because handing them something makes ca- them makes, un- yeah. yeah. Now I would be the dick and I would keep my arms crossed and just pick it up. Oh, hilarious. My oh my God. So they must change their defensive posture before they'll be able to listen to for you. Sure. It's like scientific fact. Yeah. So uh you can't be charismatic without eye contact, no matter your appearance title or even uh, through others' deference, a body language of insecurity will kill charisma on the spot. So even if you're dressed head to toe in Dior, if you're like slumped and, and fidgeting, it's not going to do anything for you. Um, to increase poise, avoid nodding more than once, excessive verbal reassurance and restlessness or fidgeting. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Can you imagine uh-huh. James Bond uh-huh. fidgeting or tugging at uh-huh, his clothes? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Com- God damn it. <laughs> I get it. Uh, I martini. love you. Ooh, dude, not shaking. <laughs> oh, we got a snort. Got a we snort. got a full on snort. I think snort. that's the second uh, second snort on the podcast so nice. far. Composed people like James Bond exhibit a level of stillness. They. They don't feel the need to move as much because they're less worried about what the person across from them thinks about them. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> on the other hand, if you're trying to make a shy colleague open up, this can backfire on you. In this case, you'll want to include more verbal reassurance and adapt your body language to theirs. We are so close to being done. I just wanted to get specific because I, I wanted but to see, write down done everything. nothing wrong. I have just been behaving like a 12-year-old boy. You're amazing. And I'm, I'm actually... Giving a bad name to 12-year-old boys. That's right. This isn't the first time, folks, and it won't be the last no. for Lisa Linking. Mm-hmm. So difficult situations. Sometimes people are just difficult. Yeah. They have egos that need to be stroked or are always confrontational. You can uh, you can win over difficult colleagues by asking them for favors, just like Benjamin Franklin did when he borrowed a book from one of his opponents. Um it sends the signal to their brain, I must like this person because I did something nice for them. So manipulative. It is. It also gives you a chance to express your appreciation for them. Remember that the best compliments are personal and specific. When you show people how they've impacted you, you feel that in a sense, oh, they will feel that in a sense they've made you. I mean, is that charisma or is that just manipulation? It's a way to build charisma. I will say, though, sometimes you need to figure out when people are difficult and you're using every tool you have to try and make your life easier, it's not like – you're not like convincing them to do something they don't want to do. You're just kind of endearing. But you are kind of. If they don't like mm. you yeah. and they don't want to interact with yeah. you and you manipulate them yeah. into making them yeah. think they do. Yeah. 
Um, well, she says this process works in reverse, by the way. So be careful not to make people feel wrong. No matter how wrong they may be, they will associate you with negative feelings. Listen, if people on this podcast have been listening and associate me with negative feelings about this book, I'm fine with it. Fox Cabane. Yeah. And to have, by the way, a little more compassion. Um, I completely didn't hear anything you said. I was in my head and not present. By the way, what would you say? I'm going to ask you and invite you to just take a second and think about where your toes are. Oh, my my left foot was curled in a weird way. I'm glad you said that. Back mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Remember, um, if you want to have more compassion for people who are difficult, she says, remember that hostility is often the external expression of inner turmoil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or they're just dicks. Um <laughs> She also talks about delivering bad news with charisma. Some of the highlights, consider timing and location. Choose a comfortable location um, because people actually will transfer their feelings about the environment to the experience itself. Sure. So uh, 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 candles and firelight have the effect of giving people something else to focus on and ease their discomfort. Misty, can you step into my office for a minute? Does it have a fireplace and candles lit? Actually, I do. I just wanted to have a very brief conversation oh, with sure, you about sure. your Oh, sure, sure. I'm here for it. What would you like? Your um, workplace performance. Mm-hmm. Stellar, I that right? Stellar. Arms are crossed. Can you hold this pen? Can you just uh, slip it in my pocket? Actually, I can't. This pen needs to be held because I need you to sign this document. The problem is I was playing with my kids this morning and I super glued my arms together. Cool. <laughs> Could you... Um, Let's step over here by the fireplace. I want to, uh, gosh, your eyes are gorgeous and firelight. Oh, thank Did you, you know that? so much. Yeah. I'm very uncomfortable because the super glue is now heating up. Cool. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was so pleasant. Thank you. Fire, firelight and candlelight. Well, okay. So I, I'm skipping over a part. I mean, I for get brevity, it, but, also... but she says, um, Part of making the location comfortable is to have props around. So, when have you ever seen someone be uncomfortable and start to fidget with the buttons on their shirt or like look down at their jeans or whatever? This is because it's a distraction to to help them focus on something else other than their discomfort. Sure. So she says you can have props around. She keeps Play-Doh in her office. And candles and fire firelight have the same effect. This is why they're so prized in romantic situations when comfort and ease are key. This gives people an idea that there is something going on in the background that they can turn their attention to when they need a distraction. Same for background music. Um... She also walks you through how to give criticism charismatically. It's really helpful. Um, When delivering critical feedback, start on a positive note. Obviously, there's so many more things she says in this chapter. But if you don't already want to read the book now, you're never going to want to. It's amazing. So just read it. You're going to love it. So she also talks about presenting with charisma. Um, For example, give one or two seconds of eye contact per person as you roam the stage. When crafting your sentences, use the word you as often as possible. Pause frequently and deliberately. Have the confidence to make your listeners wait for your words. Also pause for three seconds after you first walk on stage while sweeping your eyes across the audience. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. I've got five I I disagree with. Okay. Um, by the very nature of what she's trying to do, she's trying to lay a maxim across uh, all of this, and she's not really giving people the opportunity to read the room. And Oh, she she is. I'm only including certain things. I, I'm sure. Yeah. 
this is again, and look, if you are, if you act like a robot in front of people, this will give you some l- slightly less robotic yeah. things to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's great. And a lot of what she's saying, I, I completely agree with. It's very hard to. It sounds like we're automating a process, is what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, I I think it's also a good way to. I th- I think it's it's a ripple effect because once you come more into presence and you practice those sorts of things, you will be able to read a room better. And and she talks when she yeah. talks about the four types of charisma, she spends a lot of time talking about consider the person across from you. I just feel like uh, yes, and this is my own personal philosophy and I haven't written a book, so what the fuck do I know? Mm, a lot is that um <laughs> snap. <laughs> is that from my approach which is I guess I'm more along the line of presence. When you're putting the focus on the other person, you get out of your own fucking head. Oh, that's the other thing. She says, make a speech all about your audience. She talks about being of service. Did this take my workshop? <laughs> I think she did. Um, she says, make a speech all about your audience or always think of how you can help the person in front of you because yeah. it takes the pressure off of you, yeah. puts you in a mindset of service. Um, this will also lift your self-consciousness and puts you into a state of goodwill. So I think maybe some of the issues you're having are because I'm filtering this for for this podcast. A little but. bit. And also, it's tough for me when people are like, I have a very visceral reaction when people are yeah. like, move your hands this way. Yeah. Move your face this way. That yeah. doesn't feel authentic to me. And I feel like as an audience member, when I look at that or when I'm talking to somebody, yes. I read that right away and it turns me off. Yeah. And this is specifically about the performance like on stage. So if you're a person who doesn't perform on stage or maybe you do and you never look at your audience, considering making eye contact for two seconds with a few people in the front row every now and then or whatever it is is a tool that can help you. Yeah. I'm an outlier because I do this. So I'll, Yeah. You're I'll, also – you're amazing and practiced in a seasoned well, performer. Well, but I, I coach people and teach people how to yeah. do this. So I, yeah, I, right. have, I have some visceral thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Continue. Valid, valid, validated. Thank you. Thank so you. she ends the book with the perils of charisma. With success, people can come to resent you. Yes. When you master charisma. To curb the envy of someone and their resentment, you can help make them feel responsible for your success. Excuse me. You send them an email um, outlining what you appre- how you appreciate what they've done for you, highlighting an example, and showing their positive impact. Ask them for their advice. It gives them a vested interest in your success. And she actually has a couple of storied examples for this um, that I really liked. You can convince people to do almost anything, even when you are completely wrong. That's one of the perils of charisma. And she she quotes some CEOs that were like, I've realized that people are what ready to do anything I say, and I'm not any more sure than the next person. Misty, do you have a moment? Yeah. I just wanted to um, take a minute and say you've been integral, integral into my success here at Pepsi-Cola. And I, I know that we got off to a rocky start, what with you putting – Super glue on my keyboard and um, sending me memos that were all about farts. It was um, just dripping because of the the fire and the the farts were a situation that needed to be dealt with. But go on. Yeah. Uh, what I want to say is that I wouldn't be the new vice president of marketing if it weren't for you. Thank you. This feels like um a, a vegan not 
personal compliment, but I, I appreciate that. I'm gesture. making eye contact with you for two full seconds, and then I'm moving on. But really, truly, I don't think I would have had success <laughs> if you wouldn't have kept me on my toes. So I just want to say you're you're oh. part of my my journey and my vector towards leadership. Thank you so much. Can I, um, while we're here, can I have a raise? Absolutely not. In addition, step over here by the fireside. No, I no, want to no. have a chat. <laughs> um, it's funny when you, even in that exercise, when you were like, you helped me get where I am. I was like, oh, that's nice. It felt nice. <laughs> um, so uh, some of the other perils of charisma are that you are always in the spotlight. Yeah. Even when you don't want to be, even when you have to sit through a fucking boring PowerPoint presentation, you have to be engaged because mm-hmm. everyone's watching you. People expect great results from you and will accept nothing less. Mm. Um, and then she ends by saying, charisma has a dark side. The most charismatic leaders of the last century were Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and Mussolini. Char- charisma is an asset, not an insurance policy. Just like any other tool, like a knife, a knife can be used to harm or heal. It's not the tool itself, but it's user that matters. She says charisma is a tool of power. Use it responsibly. Hashtag David Koresh. Hashtag Warren Jeffs. (laughs) Hashtag all these cult leaders. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. She talks about... Like Jim Jones and how he got 300 people to commit mass suicide because he was such a visionary, charismatic, and authoritative leader. So it's like you have to be really careful about how you use this. So that is the charisma myth, how anyone can master the art and science of personal magnetism by Olivia Fox Cabane. Well, Misty, I am so grateful. Um... Did we cover the prices of this book? Well, let me tell you. Um, The hardcover is $9.37. The paperback is Mm $13.60. The Kindle is Mm $12.99. The audiobook is motherfucking $32. And not read by a very charismatic person. Yeah. it's um, The narrator's really nice, very pleasant, very like ASMR-y. Just like a, like, here's how to be charismatic. Here's how to be charismatic. Uh, And on the Overdrive app, it's free. And... uh, uh, I promised that I would give you the website for the exercises. Uh, oh, and by the way, the book's available on Amazon, audible.com, the free library app, Overdrive, and wherever books are sold. Olivia Fox Cabane's website is http colon forward slash forward slash. No, you didn't. I did. Foxcabane.com. That's F-O-X-C-A-B-A-N-E.com. And for the written guides on all of the exercises and strategies from her book, you can go to foxcabane.com slash book slash exercises. Boom, baby. On the scale of practical padded woo-woo, how would you rate this? It, I would say, 90% practical but some of the practical exercises have the woo-woo element, like imagining a pair of angel wings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it is so practical, tangible tools, visualizations, meditations that she guides you through and mm-hmm. has written out for you. What did you try to put into practice from this book and how did it affect you? I found myself trying to s- – I was observing my levels of charisma when talking to people and trying to drop into presence a lot more, mm-hmm. trying to be like a very active listener. And I did find that people lit up. Okay. They lit up when I, I you know, and, and was trying to focus on them and trying to exude like a warm charisma. And also 
I was trying to nod less and be more still to have a little bit more power. Mm. So I, I was grateful for those tiny tweaks. Um, who do you think this book is perfect for and who do you think this book is terrible for? This book is perfect for schmopey dopey sad sad people (laughs) i'm kidding this book is perfect for anybody who wants to um anybody who has aspirations to lead who wants to get ahead in their career anybody who feels like they're not being taken seriously or is not an effective person i I just think it's it's good for everybody because even if you are charismatic, cool to have the like fine tuning tools, yeah. yeah, and to just know how to kind of read situations and people. Who's it terrible for? This book is oh, terrible for anybody who would abuse charisma. Don't fucking read it. Don't be a fucking cult leader. I mean, come on. She really took that seriously. <laughs> um, do you have a listener challenge and a homework assignment for yours truly? I. Great. What is that? I want you to play around with the different elements of charisma. So I would love for you to see what it's like to only exude warmth and no power. Warmth? No power or presence. See what it's like to exude only power and no warmth. Okay. And see if you can um, pay attention to your presence when you're talking to people. So that's like a multifaceted homework assignment, but basically play with the three elements, power, presence, and warmth mm-hmm. of charisma, and see how that goes for you. I can't wait. Amazing. Um, this was super informative. Thank you. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well as yes. you're listening along. And have has this ever backfired on you? Have you ever had a situation where someone's charisma totally put you off or made you want to follow them? Or who are your favorite charismatic people in the world? Mm-hmm. Um you can email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. And on Twitter, we're at ghypodcast. Slide into our DMs, as we like to say. Tell us all about it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We love you. We'd really appreciate it. And until next time. Oh, and send us your book re- your book recommendations. Oh, yeah, please. Please. We want to know what you want to hear, and we're so excited to discover new books. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Life is abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at GHY Podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.